0: 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're just finishing up the last part, but let's pick it up at verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in him. And while he was being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept on entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. So last time we talked about Jesus and how Jesus dealt with suffering, how he dealt with suffering. And, and we said uh, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4 through onward, teaches us how the Messiah dealt with suffering when people came against him. So it's very clear that he had a prescription for dealing with suffering. And uh, that's what he would, he would follow through on. And then it says, And he himself bore our sins in his body. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might... Mu- Die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. His suffering was on our behalf. Very often our suffering might be on behalf of others. Stances that we take for the blessing of others. There may be suffering involved. Nothing unusual about that. That is the pattern that Jesus had. In fact, in verse 22 it says, Who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Jesus had not done anything wrong. He committed no sin this suffering was not coming at him because of him. It was becoming coming at him that he was taking our sufferings upon himself. Jesus took our sufferings upon himself. It says he bore our sins in his body on the cross. He bore our sins on the cross. He bore it so that we might die to sin. We don't have to sin. We may sin, but we no longer have to. And it says that We might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. By his wounds you were healed. If you be in Christ, by his wounds you were healed. The intent of it defined the extent. His intent was to save us. His his intent was to call us forward and and to heal us. That was his intent. And that's the extent of what happened. If Jesus intends to do something, nothing can stop it. Absolutely nothing can stop it. And you may say, well, you, you, know, uh, 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 you know, will he work against my will? No. He just changes your will. Just changes your will. That's what he does. You can, if, if he wants you saved, you may, you may resist. But what will happen is his spirit will come upon you. And your will will come in conformity to his will. He is God. We are not. We are not God of our lives. We are not even God of our own decisions. And and if his intent is is there, that's the extent that it's going to be accomplished. And uh, that's exactly what happens here. By his wounds, we are healed. And it says, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. And so this is very much like like Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. We'll start reading from verse 4. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed and stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So you can very much see that, that Peter is well versed in the Old Testament. Because as he is writing, these are the Old Testament passages just coming through him as he is, as he is teaching here. And so you see this coming through him as he's teaching. Because Jesus is altogether wonderful. If we could just grasp this, that the king, the creator of the universe, has died on our behalf, has taken our iniquities upon himself. This is what I'm saying. Forever and ever we shall be thankful to him for what Jesus has done. By his wounds we are healed. As Jesus was beaten, his back was stripped bare. In fact, the Bible tells us at the end of Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, all the way through Isaiah 53, it's talking about the Messiah and his suffering. And it says that Jesus, that, that Jesus was more deformed than any man through his scourging. You look at all the Roman scourgings. Jesus was more deformed than any man. He was absolutely stripped. Of, of, of flesh when he underwent the scourging prior to his, his death on the cross. And that's why his death on the cross was actually rather rapid. Um, uh, th- there was no need to break his bones to have him die. He was already dead. And he was, had already been dead for some time when the soldier, when the Roman soldier had thrust his spear into Jesus' side. And it says, blood and water gushed out. Blood and water because what happens over time is the blood will coagulate and you'll get an aqueous phase and you'll get a, a, a coagulated phase. And you get, th- this is what came out. There were aqueous phases, there were coagulated phases, which means that he'd been dead for some time already. Because his scourging was so intense. This is what Jesus bore for us. And it says, for, for uh, you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls, You know, when I was in college, I got saved in my freshman year, November of my freshman year. I had been sick through probably all my senior year of high school. I had a a kidney problem where I had congenital scarring in my ureter, which is the tube that comes out of the kidney. And it was closing off. The scarring was closing it off. And I was being diagnosed. I'd been diagnosed with a spastic colon because I'd have all this pain in my side. And so I was being treated for a spastic colon, but it was my kidney the whole time that was backing up as this, this scar tissue was there. And it would back up, form more pressure, and push through the scar tissue. The, and when I came to the Lord, what the Lord did is He used that sickness amazingly in my life. I wasn't getting knitted in with the church. I felt very awkward in Christian environments. I came from a Jewish home. And, and there were campus group meetings, and the students would you know, sit on the ground in this in this room on this carpeted floor in the chapel and in the basement of the chapel and they'd sing around and they'd be clapping hands and singing songs and I know that sounds wonderful to you it looked like kindergarten to me it looked like what four-year-olds do they sit on the ground with their legs crossed and they clap their hands and sing songs and I felt very uncomfortable there I came from a Jewish home and and uh, uh, we didn't do that type of thing in my home and uh, uh, So I didn't fellowship with these people, and the sickness got worse and worse. And I was reading my Bible every day. My junior year, it got really bad. There were at least two days a week I could not get out of bed. And uh, that's when I was taking organic chemistry, and I would remember sitting in extreme pain in organic chemistry class and then going back to my room. And uh, uh, the Lord used this. He used this to get hold of my life. And then in the summer after my sophomore year, a young lady had invited me to a church. She was not going to be there for for the summer, but she said, go to the church. And uh, she was going away for the summer, and I met her in a cafeteria, and she referred me to this church. So I went, and I was blown away because I saw a passion in people. This was a church of predominantly run by Indians. I would say half the church was Indians, not American Indians, but India Indians. And... and, uh, um, these were devoted people, and I had never seen anything like it. And I had committed, I'm, I'm, I'm going here. I am going here. That week, that week, I got properly diagnosed. And um, I was properly diagnosed. I went into the hospital immediately and had surgery. Five days later, I was out of the hospital, and I never left that church. I mean, I was part of that church. God uses things in our lives to get a hold of us, to keep us from going astray. There are sufferings that come in our lives to keep us from going astray. I'll tell you, if you be in Christ and you are wandering astray, be wary, be, be forewarned. The Lord doesn't mess around with these things. If you know the Lord and you are going astray and you are dabbling in sin or you fail to get into fellowship, The Lord will allow certain things in your life because when a sheep goes astray, the shepherd deals with that sheep. Doesn't kill them, but breaks a leg or does something so that they don't wander off anymore. And the Lord has a habit of doing that as well. You don't mess around with him. He is serious about a relationship with you. If you be in Christ, he is serious about a relationship with you. And if you are wandering, if you're you're dilly-dallying in your faith, There are hardships that are going to come in your life to draw you back. God, in his mercy, does that. In his absolute mercy, he does that. Your kid keeps playing around the fireplace, and you keep warning them, and they keep playing around. You let him burn his hand, and he'll never do that again. And God is the same way. He allows it. He allows this sort of thing. He says, "For, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. You are continuous, continually straying. And these sufferings, this whole part of sufferings comes upon us and then we come back. And the Lord in his mercy does this. And he is faithful and he is righteous and he is just because he is not a hireling. He cares about us. He absolutely cares about us. Jesus is the best in every way. He is the guardian. He is the shepherd of our souls. And he watches out for us. But when we start straying, he does not put up with it. He allows things in your life. And your life will become pretty miserable. Your marriage will break up. Your home will break up. Just to get a hold of your heart. That's how much he cares about your soul. He cares more about your soul than he does about your career, than he does about your family life. He cares more about your soul. And you don't mess around with the living God. And if we if we stray, he's going to draw us back because he is a shepherd. Okay, let's look at at first, Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. And, and and let me let me let me just let me just mention one verse before I go on from there. I'm going to close with, with this verse on, on chapter two. I'm going to close with this verse, in um, Psalm 119 verse 67. Psalm 119 verse 67 says this, but I was afflicted. I was affli- uh, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And then your affliction came upon me, boom, I keep your word. This is exactly what happened in my life. And I learned you don't mess around with the Lord. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And you watch. Affliction will come in your life, and it will bring you back to the guardian and shepherd of your soul. And sometimes it doesn't happen until you're 63 years old. And all of a sudden, He gets hold of your life. You go through lots of things. He brings you back. He brings you back. All right, let's look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. Reading from verse 1. In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable quality of, of gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Okay, so, some women get upset because there's six verses of instruction for women, and then there's one verse of instruction for men. And I do not understand why people would be upset about that. I think you have it totally backwards. I think men should be upset that they only get one verse of instruction because every word of God is precious. Everything that comes from the the mouth of God is absolutely precious. I wish there were a whole book of the Bible for instruction for for chemistry professors. I do. Let him instruct me. Why should I be resistant? You gave me six verses and then for men it's only one. It's like you should be saying yes. Thank you, Lord. It's, it's totally messed up the way people think about this. I would love to have a whole book of instruction just for James Tour. I would love it—a God-breathed book of instruction just for me. I mean, just—I mean, I really mean just for me, not for you. Just for me, I would love it. I would love it. I would love the instruction. God's word is absolutely precious. Every word that comes from His mouth is precious. Women should rejoice that they got six verses versus the men's one. Look at the instruction. What he's trying to do is to bring peace in your home. You get married. Every woman wants peace in their home because some men are thick-headed and they give their wives a very hard time. And women long for peace in their home. And God's teaching them how to have peace. Why would you resist that? Why would you say, why would you give me six verses on how to have peace? Just give me two sentences. Just give me one, one word. Why? Why? The more the better. He's just teaching you how to have peace in your home. And so what he does in chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way, he starts in the same way. In the same way as what? Look in verse 13. Submit yourselves. Verse 13 of, of chapter 2. Verse 13 of chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. In verse 13, he's telling you, you all have to submit. Submission is a way of life in the Bible. Submission is a way of life. Instruction is a way of life. It's a way of life in the Bible. Instruction, instruction is just a way of life for us. This is what life is. In, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, it says, whoever loves... Discipline loves knowledge. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. He who hates reproof is stupid. I mean, Lord, could you have been a little bit more explicit with us? I mean, look what he does. He writes, if you don't like reproof, you're stupid. If you love discipline, you love knowledge. This is good. He tells us in verse 13 of chapter 2, submit yourselves. He's talking to everybody. Then you look in verse 18, servants, be submissive. Chapter 2, verse 18, servants, be submissive. Servants have to be submissive. In verse 13, everybody has to be submissive to to, uh, these human institutions. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, the first thing he says is, in the same way, you wives, in the same way, you wives. Now look in verse 7 of chapter 3, verse 7 of chapter 3 you husbands, in the same way. So it's not exclusively calling out wives here. It's calling out everybody in the same way that I have been talking about submission. You've got to walk in submission. And what he does, he starts out with everybody, everybody. Then he zeroes in on servants. And then he zeroes in on wives. And then he zeroes in on husbands. And we should be thankful for that. Thankful that he would take his time. You know, God's kind of busy. he's he's got famines, he's got plagues, he's got all sorts of things going on in the world, that he would condescend to come and to speak to us and to write to us and to say, this is some specific instruction for you. That is a good thing. It's a good thing that we should treasure absolutely every word that is given to us. He says, in the same way, you wives, I mean, if you're a wife, you should just perk up. Yeah, my Lord, God of the universe is speaking to me. Is speaking to me. Every woman should be like, Yeah, you know, if you're not married, one day I may be married. This is instruction for peace in my home. This is what I want. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Be submissive to your own husbands. This is not saying be submissive to all men. This is wives submissive to your own husband. It's to your own husband. And if you look at the end of verse 5, to their own husband. It's all about to your own husband. You need to be submissive to your own husband. And that's why he says in verse 7, you husbands in the same way, the instruction that I've been giving, this is for you too, he's saying. But you're to be submissive to your own husband. Well, Why should I? Here's why you should. Here's why you should. He says, be submissive to your own husband so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. He is giving a prescription for peace in the home. I'm telling you, I know a lot of men who give their wives a terribly hard time. Terribly hard time. And I'll tell you, there are times I've been one of them. That's how I know. The Bible says you can win them You can win them without a word. I mean, that's a great deal. I don't have to say anything and he'll take care of it? I mean, that's a great deal. You mean I I don't have to go to to like a million classes on how to be a good wife? He says, no, just be quiet. Just be quiet and I'll take care of it. You want to speak up? Okay, I'll take a back seat. But if you want me to deal with it, just keep quiet. Let me deal with it. I'll take care of it, God says. I can handle him. I can handle your husband. No problem. But you want to speak up all the time? You want to nag him all the time? Okay, I'll take a back seat. You take care of it. I'm good. You take care of it. No, he says, just keep quiet. Just keep quiet, and I'll take care of him. Because when you submit, the amazing thing is when you're in submission, God takes care of your boss. Same thing happens at work. If you walk in submission, you think you've got to fight this person every day. If you walk submissively, God will take care of your boss. Because when you walk in submission, you're obeying God. and God says, okay, you're obeying my word. I'll take care of everything from the top. I'll go straight to the top. I'll take care of it. I'll take it. You, you, you want to be fighting this thing all the time? Okay. You let me take care of it. He says to wives, you let me take care of it. Just let me take care of it. I mean, that, you see how nice he is? Precious one. Just let me take care of it. That's a, that's a great word. You want peace in your home? Just let me take care of it. He says, if any of them are disobedient to the word, even if they're disobedient, some people think that, that their, their husband doesn't know the Lord so they don't, have to, they don't ha- have to listen to him. No, it's just the opposite. Just the opposite. Unless he tells you to do something, that is against the scriptures. And, and, uh, and we see it right here. He says, if they're disobedient to the word, that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. This doesn't mean you do this to every man. This is to your husband. This is to your husband. There are some women in the workplace that can be really tough. And they are amazing in the workplace. Utterly amazing. If you get a board of directors and it has no women in it on it, it's a mess. It's just a mess because guys can go off wandering and, "Yeah, let's do this. Let's sue this guy." And you need a woman there to say, "What are you guys doing? What are you doing? You're crazy. Why do we need another lawsuit in the company? Why do we need to be spending money in that? We need some rational woman there to to to, to help us. Women in the workplace are amazing. They get a ton of stuff done because they can juggle so many things at once, which men can't do. You see, women in, in, uh, in academia, a lot of times it's the prime age for them to start having children. They finished graduate school, and they, they're, 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 now, they're now in the prime years for having children. And they've got to have children because they're 30 years old. And uh, beyond 35, it becomes a lot more difficult. And so that slows down their careers, their research careers a little bit. But then, once the kids are in school, they take off like a rocket. And their longevity in production in careers way it exceeds men, because men get tenure and they kick back. I mean, women get tenure, and it's like, it's like not even a blip. I mean, it's just, they just continue to rise and continue to be productive. Right on into their 60s, they're productive, whereas men are settling back very often. And I see it. I've seen this all the time through my career. Women can be amazing. This is speaking, you're submissive to your own husband. In the workplace, you know, you, women have to command men all the time. This is a good thing. This is to your own husband. And then he says, your adornment must not be merely external braiding of the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. This dress in, dresses in, most, in mo, most, is putting on clothing. Putting on clothing. So it says, it, it, if, if you try to use this verse... Uh, uh, women should never braid their hair or put on uh, jewelry, then you'd have to say women should never put on clothing. I mean, if, if, if it's never any of it, then, then it's never any of it. And so I, I once keyed in on this verse. Early on in my marriage, I keyed in on this verse. And I was, I was you, you know, harping on Shireen, you don't need makeup, you know, you look just fine without it. And, and you know, Sharine Shereen kind of likes makeup. And and I understand. You know, look, look, I've learned. I've learned this is very near and dear. This is like, you know, telling a guy not to carry his pocket knife. I mean, this this is very dear to a woman. And and uh, um, you don't mess with it. But anyway, so I, I was telling her this all the time, and then it was really bothering me, so she went out and she started selling Mary Kay cosmetic cosmetics. I mean, like, this is this is like a gross violation. And and uh and plus, we had no money. I was just a postdoc, and I, I was making $17,000 a year living in, in uh, uh, Menlo Park, California. And it was really expensive. And I had to have a two-bedroom apartment because I had two children. And, and the, in Menlo Park, if you had two children, you had to have at least two bedrooms. That was, that was the law. And so, and so uh, it was very hard to live. And she goes out, and she spent, I thought it was 150 $150. Decades later, she told me it was like $300 on this starter kit, which was a lot of money for us. And, and I was praying. It was bothering me so much, so much. I was praying. I read this first. I said, Lord, my wife, she's not listening to me. She did. And, and, uh, um, and one day I was reading, and I would read the Bible from beginning to end. And, uh, um, and I was in Proverbs at that time. And I was praying about this. And then at, one morning I read this. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. It's Proverbs 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And I felt the Lord saying, leave her alone. It makes her glad. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. I had prayed a lot about this, but when God spoke this verse to me, I released it. And I remember her coming out of the bedroom and I turned to her, and I said, you can wear all the makeup you want anytime you want. And she looked at me, and she said, you are a moody man. You ought to join the <laughs> Moody Bible Institute. Every time you read your Bible, you get some different view on life. This is what she said to me. And, and, uh, um, but I released it. I was done. And then you know what happened? These women would come to buy their cosmetics from her. And she didn't have the heart to charge these women, so she'd just give it to them. And so her whole starter kit was gone. She had no money to buy the big kit, the big kit after that, and that was the end of the business. God took care of that. And so it it was just her own makeup. But now I've come to the point, I kind of like it. I said, I want you to look nice. Get your makeup on look nice. And and women say, you shouldn't say that to your wife. I I say it. She understands. I want her to look good. And and so the whole thing is shifted. But I brought it to the Lord. And the Lord took care of it through the Scriptures. So read on. The same thing is going to happen to Abraham. So it says, verse 4, But let it be the hidden person of the heart and the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit that is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. And we see that in, uh, in Genesis eighteen twelve, 12. Uh, uh, she, she refers to her husband as Lord. And uh, that's why very often Shireen will call me Lord James. And, uh, uh, and I mean, she just says that to, to, to bother me. But it doesn't bother me. I mean, you can call me Lord James all you want. Um, and and uh, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. Look, if you obey God, you don't have to be frightened. If you will walk with God and obey His word, you don't have to be frightened. You just walk submissively to your husband. You don't have to be frightened. God will take care of your husband. Now, you say, "Well, yeah, yeah." Sarah was a real pushover. Okay, was she? Let's 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 take a look at Sarah. So let, let, let's look at at at. Uh, Genesis chapter 21, verse 9. So this is Sarah that the Bible uses as an example of submission, calling her husband Lord. Genesis 21, verse 9. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she, whom she had born to... Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son, but God said to Abraham, Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid; whatever Sarah tells you listen to her, for through Isaac your descendant shall be named. And the son of the maid and of the son of the maid I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took the bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her and gave her the boy, and said, and sent her away, and she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. So Sarah says, get rid of this boy. That boy was 14. That boy was 14 when Isaac uh, was born. So when this boy is weaned, say he's five or six years old, this, this guy is like 19. Uh, you got to be careful what a 19-year-old boy can do to a 5-year-old boy. I mean, and and they they can can give him a very hard time. And Sarah saw this, saw him mocking the boy, and she said, get rid of the maid and this boy. Get rid of them. Just get rid of them. Abraham, it bothered him greatly. This is his son. It says the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. Distressed him greatly. This guy must have been praying about, Lord, what am I going to do? My wife's telling me... and God said to Abraham, don't be distressed because of the lad. God spoke to him. You say, God spoke to Abraham all the time. He didn't. He didn't. You track how often God spoke to Abraham. There were sometimes gaps of 10, 15 years where God didn't speak to Abraham. And then God would speak. This is a big deal. God speaks to Abraham. The matter distressed Abraham greatly. He was probably praying a lot about it. distressed him greatly. God said, To Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. Once God told him, I'll take care of it, he could release them. He's sending out his son and his other wife into the wilderness with just some food, some bread, and and a bottle of water. But God said, I'll take care of them. In that he rested. This is a hard thing to do but she was protecting the home. And that's the thing. Women protect the home. They really protect the home. And men mess around and they don't realize how their wives have been, how God has made their wives to protect their home. When your wife says to you, I don't want you near that lady, you'd be like, listen to her. Listen to her. She sees something that you may not even see. She knows when a woman is hitting on you, and you may not even know it, and she perceives it. Take her warning. Don't say, oh, on. Even if she were hitting on me, it wouldn't affect me. Oh, yeah? Heed her warning. Heed her warning. And wives have this amazing sense to protect the fidelity of their home and to protect their children. And when your wife comes and tells you this, I'm telling you, men, listen to them. Listen to them. We are given the example of Sarah as a wife who was submissive and obedient. And you look at Sarah, she says, you've got to get rid of this lady now because her son is a danger to our son. Her son is a danger to him, to, to, to our son. You've got to get rid of them. You've got to get rid of them now. And it distressed him greatly. And God told him, listen to your wife. Listen to her. You come home from work, man, and you mention a woman's name two or three times, your wife's ear will just perk up. Why do you keep talking about that woman? What do you mean? I, I, I like mentioned her name two times. No, actually, it was three times. That's a warning right there. That's a warning, gentlemen, right there. Wives have this amazing perception. They will see the way other women look at you long before you notice it. When they warn you about this, I urge you to take their warning. Listen to your wife. They are there for the protection of the home. Listen to your wife. Just like men understand other men, Just like men understand, you know how they're trying. How this guy's trying to impress that girl. I, I know it because I do the same thing. You know, you know they understand this. They understand what men's motivations are. Women understand other women, and they understand very subtle things about them. You know, like a deer in the woods. You know, the tail goes up, and all the other deer. You know, to us it means almost nothing or you're around a horse and right away its ears go back. And you know if you've ever been around horses and its ears go back, just stand back. That horse is about to bite you or kick you or knock you over. I mean, subtle little things wives perceive about other women. Trust them in this. This is to bring peace in the home. This is to bring peace in the home. So just because, he says, be submissive and without a word, look at Sarah. Use her example. She was still protecting the home, still protecting the home. And man, would look at what Abraham did. It distressed him greatly, so much so that he's going back to the Lord, and the Lord speaks to him, and the Lord will speak to you. I was praying all the time. I remember going for prayer walks when I was a postdoc in Menlo Park, California, going praying about my wife's makeup and this infatuation with makeup and stuff. And then God spoke to me. God spoke to me. I prayed about it, and God spoke to me. And I had total release, total release, once God spoke to me about it. You bring it to the Lord. Let God speak to you through his word. And then you can release it. There's instruction here for women. There's instruction here for men. And God is so good. If you do not know the Lord, please come to me today. Come to me today. We will arrange a time. I'll sit with you over lunch and I'll share with you about the Lord. Give me that opportunity. Give me that opportunity. And if if you're online, you don't know the Lord, give me an opportunity. If you don't know the Lord, just send me an email to tour at drjamestour.org and I will gladly, I will gladly get with you and uh, um, uh, we'll set up a time within a few days, we'll set up a time, we'll set up an hour and I'll share with you. Give me that opportunity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Blessed be your name. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord. Every word of instruction for us is a treasure. I thank you for it. I thank you, Lord, that you mean for good and peace in our homes. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for protecting us. Thank you, Lord, that you allow suffering in our lives to bring us back to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Thank you, Father, that you bring us back to Jesus through suffering. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord, for all you've blessed us with. I pray for these young people, for their marriages, for their homes that you would work and protect their lives and their marriages. Let Jesus Christ be glorified. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name. Amen.